Hello, and welcome to City Hope Church. Today, Pastor Peter will be bringing the next part of his sermon series, I'll Be Back. You know, last week we were talking on the, uh, the, the seven letters, and one of the, we've been doing this series on I'll Be Back, and um, we're, we're talking about, it's a, it's a walk through Revelation, and so we've, we've, the last few Sundays we've been talking through the, 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 the letters, but I've only got three done of the seven. And uh, one of the things we talked about last week was Pergamon and how they had uh, corrupted the theology of the church and they had allowed the world to come in and, and they, they had changed their theology. And I talked about how we have to be very careful about modernizing our theology. And in particular, I talked about, I used the plumb line. Remember, if you were here last week, I held up a plumb line and I said that we need to have a plumb line for our, our, our doctrine so that we don't, we don't modernise our theology. And I went home and sat down to read the paper. And if we got those newspaper images, that'd be great. We can put them up. Uh, go to the first one. Uh, here was, here's the Sunday Mail talking about uh, private schools in Brisbane changing the gender of God to genderless. Now, when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray, he started off by saying, well, this is how you do it, our Father. And God identifies himself as our, our Father. When Jesus walked the planet, guess what? He was a bloke. He was a male. And, and the whole push to, to modernize theology, I thought this was a great example of exactly what I'm talking about. And so I just think that we need to be so careful that we don't get suckered in to, to changing what has been 2,000 years of, of orthodoxy, uh, which, is, which is straight down the line uh, doctrine. And so we need to be careful that we don't uh, get sucked in by all the PC, uh, PC guys because God's a male and so is Jesus. Amen? thought I should share that. Let's pray this morning as we come around the Word. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to uh, open your Word this morning. And Father, I pray that, uh, that you stir our hearts, Father, this morning. And God, I just... Uh, Ask, Lord, for, for me as a preacher, Lord, that I would preach a, a word in season. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So I have a little bit of a football theme happening this morning, and so I just thought it was appropriate. That I wore the, the winning colours. Does anybody here go for New South Wales? I don't normally like to polarise the church. You guys go for New South Wales? You know, I just want to say, um, genuinely, you guys can't play football. <laughs> now, the, the heckle over here that I'm a trader is because actually I was born in New South Wales. And... I was born in New South Wales, but my heart is in Queensland. So I'll go for Queensland. So anyway, I... Yeah, we should change the colour of Global Care shirts. We, we might consider that. So what I wanted to do today was... Uh, I, I don't want to spend the next three or four Sundays going through each letter. I, I was kind of hoping to do 
two or three letters per sermon, so I was kind of thinking I'd spend two Sundays on it. Well, I've spent two Sundays on it, and we've got two, two, three letters of the four done, so I could easily spend another two or three weeks on it. And I, I don't particularly want it because I want to move on uh, to some other things in Revelation as part of the I'll Be Back series. And Nathan Ironside next week, he, who is a, an incredible uh, uh, artist, he's a worship artist who travels all around the world worshipping, I've asked him to minister on the topic of what do we learn about worship out of the book of Revelation. Because there's a lot of worship that goes on in the book of Revelation, the worship of heaven, for example. And so that's what he's going to be ministering on. So we are going to be continuing our series next week with, with, with Nathan. But as I was prepping this uh, on Wednesday, I started to look through the, the letters, uh, the seven letters, and I thought, is there a common theme that runs through all the letters that I could take that out as a summary and, and minister on. And the Ephesus church was devotionally cold, but, do, uh, yeah, devotionally cold but doctrinally hot. So they were, they were the right doctrine, but they were just devotionally cold. The Pergamon church was a compromising church and they'd, they'd Kind of, they were so wishy-washy that they kind of allowed the world to come into the church and that there was just a whole stack of compromise that was happening in the church. The Thyatira church was a church that had allowed Jezebel to teach her doctrine in the church. And, and, and Jesus, as he's writing to the church of Thyatira, is actually talking about that the problem with the church is the fact that they tolerate her teaching. In other words, they, they allowed... that, that there were, Again, there was no... There was no sense of, hang on, we need to do something about this. They were, they were so wishy-washy that they, they just allowed stuff to happen. Sardis was the crippled church. And uh, when Jesus is writing to the church, he says to them, he says, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're actually dead. So he, 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 there's a parallel here with, with Jesus at one, one time when he was on, the, on earth, talked about how the, hippoc- uh, the, the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees were like, uh, whitewashed tombs. They look pretty on the outside, but they're full of dead men's bones. And Jesus is saying here that the church of Sardis, is, that they've got a reputation for being alive, but again, there's, there's actually no life in them. Then the church of Laodicea uh, is the famous one that we all know the scripture that says, uh, you know, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm, uh, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So there's, there's just this, this lukewarmness Going on, and as I looked through the other churches, the thing that I came up to, up with was that the consistent message that Jesus had to the churches was that they need to be more passionate. That to me, it seems that passionless Christianity was the consistent thing that was happening just one generation after the birth of the church. These letters are being written about 80 or 90 AD, and already the, the passion for the things of God had, had waned. And so Jesus comes to, to the churches, and it just seems as you go through these, that, that passionless Christianity was the issue. So I wrote, I wrote a question here. What if passionless, passionless Christianity is one of the biggest problems the end-time church will face? And what implication does that have for the way we would do our life, the way we would do church personally and for us as a broader 
faith community. So I want to preach this morning on passion. I want to stir your heart. I want to challenge your level of passion. Now, I think this is a, I think this is a fairly passionate church. But I want, to, I want to take what Jesus has this consistent thing through the churches and just speak on, on passion and remind us that we have to be passionate for God's kingdom. And I want to use a, I want to use an illustration. About 12 years ago, there was a, a show called The Footy Show. Who, who used to watch The Footy Show? Uh, I, they, they've stopped it now, I think, because it became so politically incorrect uh, that they stopped it. But there was a guy... There was a guy on the, on the footy show, a character called Reg Reagan. Who ever remembers Reg Reagan? Okay, he was very PC, very non-PC. But he wrote, a, he wrote a song called Bring Back the Biff. And I, I in, let me just say, can we put Reg Reagan up? Uh, just a photo, just a photo. I, I do have the video, but we'll just use the photo. Now, I want, to, I want to say something. I in no way condone, condone violence of any kind. I don't condone violence in sport. I don't condone violence at all. But he, he's, he wrote this song called Bring Back the Biff. And the idea of it was that when I was in the 80s, uh, when I was growing up in the 80s, that particularly the state of origin, there was always punch-ups. There was always... They, 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 they would go onto the field with so much fire and venom and passion that there was always punch-ups. You know, I used to watch the State of Origin, and I'm not a big sport watcher, to be really honest. I watch the State of Origin, that's about it. Uh, and I hassle Talis out every time the Broncos lose. Um, <laughs> but I don't, I don't watch a lot of sport. But in the 80s and 90s, I used to watch the State of Origin for the punch-ups. You know, who remembers Gordon Tallis? Oh, there you go, Tallis, yeah. Gordon Tallis, you know, I mean, he was, he was a meathead. That would just, that, but there was so much fire and passion. But now we, we've become so... PC in football, that it's, it's, it's like we, we just watch a less passionate version of footy. And so Reg Reagan wrote a, book, wrote a, a song, Bring Back the Biff. And it's all about having more passion in football. And again, I don't condone violence, but I, I want to use that term because I think we need to bring back the biff to some areas of our life. Bring back that passion to some of the areas of our life. And if, if I could requote what Jesus is saying to the early churches, he's saying to them to bring back the biff, to have some passion in the way that they're doing church and the way that they're doing life. In Matthew 11 and verse 12, uh, it says, For the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. And the word force there means ardent zeal and intense exertion. Ardent zeal and intense exertion. I kind of look, I find, I, I, I challenge myself and I go, would I describe my worship this morning as ardently zealous with intense exertion? Charles Spurgeon had this to say about this, this particular text. He said, when John the Baptist preached in the wilderness of Judea, the throng of people who pressed around him became extremely violent to get near enough to hear his voice. Often when the Saviour preached, did the like scene occur? And we find that the multitudes were immense beyond all precedent. He seemed to drain every city, every town, every village as he went along preaching the word of the gospel. So intense was their desire to hear the Saviour that they pressed upon him in so much as they trod upon one another. 
The crowd became so violent to approach his person that some of the weaker ones were cast out and trodden upon. Now our Saviour, when he witnessed all this struggle, round about to get near him, said, this is just a picture of what is done spiritually by those who will be saved. As you press and throng about me, said Christ, and to thrust one another with arm and elbow to get within reach of my voice, even so it must be if you would be saved, for the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The other challenge that I find with that is that if it rains or if it gets cold, people stay home from church. And that's a challenge. Because there was such passion to get, into, get close to the voice of Jesus that there was that Jesus actually kind of saying, hey, that there's, that there's a violent struggle here. But he goes, that's what you need to do to, to, if you want to be saved, that there would be a, a, a passion in your life. On the day of Pentecost, well, actually, it was after the day of Pentecost and the church was, was, was birthed in Acts 2 and verse 41, that this is the early church. So this is the, 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 the start of, of, of the church. And the Bible says, and it was with, in Acts 2.41, And with many words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. This is Peter preaching. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, 3,000 souls were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They devoted themselves. In other words, there was a fire on the inside of them that caused them to devote themselves. That, that They didn't need necessarily a pastor to say, come on, you've got to read the Bible. And come on, you've got to be in church. and Come on, you've got to tithe and you've got to give. There was a, there was a devotion within themselves. There was a passion within themselves that, that drove them into the gospel. Now, I look at that. They devoted themselves to the gospel. And then you just go 80 years later and, and, and the consistent message of the church is passionless Christianity. In Luke 13 and verse 24, and in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus is talking about the road that leads to hell and the road that leads to heaven. And he says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, uh, for many... I say to you, we'll seek to enter and will not be able. And then in verse 13 of Matthew 7, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Strive. Strive to enter the narrow gate. Work with all your heart and passion to be on the narrow road. Because wide is the road that leads to destruction. There are many who take it, but the road that leads, the, the narrow road, is filled with potholes. There's not very many people on it and, and it, it's a harder road to take. And Jesus is saying, he strive to take the narrow road that you would find it. In Acts 17 and verse 27, it says, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he's not far from each of us. There's a sense here of, of, of groping in the darkness that, you, you know, if you, uh, if you, I mean, you're living in the city, you don't really ever see darkness. I remember when I was a, a kid, I grew up on a, a farm and you could, you could, you know, you turn all the lights off and you could put your hand in front of your face like this and not see it. And I would have liked a little nightlight or something, but they cost money, electricity. So we just turned everything off and we would just sleep in absolute blackness. But if you ever need to get up to go to the loo, 
you're, you're, you're groping through the, I mean, you're, you're, you're tripping over all your toys and you're, there's, a, there's a groping happening trying to find where you're, where you're meant to be going. And there's a sense in that, in this scripture, of, that we would grope for Jesus, that there would, that there would be a, a passion in our life to find Him, even in the midst of great darkness, that we would find Him. In Joel 3, in verse 9 to 11, it says, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come now and beat your plough shears into swords and your pruning hooks into spears and let the weak say, I am strong. Further down in the same chapter, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down for the winepress is full. The vats are overflowing for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And the word mighty here means valiant and very able. Valiant and very able. If the Bible is saying, wake up the mighty men, it means that the mighty men can be, can be lulled into sleep. And Jesus is saying here, or the, the scripture is saying here, wake up the mighty men. See that in John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief doesn't come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. See, God wants to, the devil wants to take life out of you. He wants to, he, he wants to, God, Jesus come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But the devil has come to steal your life, to, to kind of, to, to lull you into sleep, to lull you into a false sense of, of, of faith, of, of just, you know, almost the, the idea of she'll be right, mate. That all we've got to do is just, you know, we just turn up for church, you know, pretty much every week and we tick a box and, and we're, we're all good. You know, it's okay. But Jesus is saying, hey, and, and, the, and the devil, see, the devil doesn't mind you coming to church if you're just doing it out of obligation and to tick a box. But when you come to church, and there's a stirring, and there's a passion, and you want to you serve in the church, you want to worship in the church, you want to pay attention to the preaching, you want to sow finance into the church, then the devil says, hang on, that's a problem. If I can lull you to sleep. So why do we need to wake up the mighty men? Because that's the way Jesus wants us to live. And by men, I mean men and women. got a lot of hecklers this morning. <laughs> in 1 Corinthians 9.24, it says, Do you not know that those who run all run in a race, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way to receive the prize. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, live your life like you're going to be the winner. Live your life, like live, live in a way that you, you'll discipline yourself. You'll do whatever's necessary to take hold of the prize and make sure that at the end of our life, like Paul was, was concerned, that, that he would be disqualified. That we would live our life passionately. Why else do we need to wake up the mighty men? Because there's multitudes in the valley of decision. Think of the, the, the thousands and thousands of people this morning that woke up and did anything else but think about Jesus. Did anything else but think about their salvation. Did anything else but think about Their eternal life. 
They're in the valley of decision. And the, 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 the gospel needs mighty men and women to be woken up, to be able to take the gospel to the, to the people of Logan. There is no plan B. I mean, Jesus has us and the other Christians in the city. There's no other plan. Jesus doesn't say, well, look, what we'll do is we'll, if you guys don't work out, like if you don't, you know, if you're kind of like scared about it, what we'll do is we'll start a, a Facebook page and we'll have other people have, well, I'll send some angels and they can preach. I mean, there is no other option. The only thing that stands between Logan City and hell are the churches of Logan City. But if the churches of Logan City are passionless churches filled with sleeping mighty men and women, then Logan City goes to hell on our watch. We have to wake up the white mighty men. William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, had this amazing vision. And uh, it was a vision, actually, that he was in a train and had this, this, this vision of, uh, what he was basically seeing was that, that there was this great ocean, this angry ocean. And uh, he saw in the ocean humanity drowning, like people drowning in the ocean. It was a stormy ocean. And he saw multitudes of people drowning in the ocean. And, and then he saw out of the ocean came this big rock. And the rock represented Calvary. And then he said he saw people clamoring up onto the rock. And, and that, that was a, a mark of getting saved. But then he said, he said, I'm going to read it. He said, but what puzzled me most, and this is actually out of his vision. What puzzled me most was the fact that though all of them, these are the people on the rock, that had been rescued from one time or another from the ocean, nearly everyone seemed to have forgotten about it. Anyway, it seemed the memory of its darkness and danger no longer troubled them at all. And what seemed equally strange and perplexing to me was that these people did not even seem to have any care, any level of agonizing care, about the poor perishing ones who were struggling and drowning right before their very eyes. Many of whom were their own husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, even their own children. Now this astonishing unconcern could not have been the result of ignorance or lack of knowledge because they live right there in the full sight of it all and even talked about it sometimes. Many even went regularly hear lectures and sermons in which the awful state of these poor drowning creatures was described. And he goes on and, and, and says, basically talks about how Everybody on the rock got all caught up in doing everything about being on the rock and nobody was actually down trying to get the people out of the ocean. And, and he talked about how the prayer life of these people on the rock were all about Jesus, come to us, come to us, come and, come and, come and help us. When all the time Jesus was out in the ocean saying, come to me and come and help me. There has to be a passion in our lives for God and for the lost. A guy walked up to Jesus one time and said, all right, Jesus, what's the best commandment? What's the greatest commandment? What, 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 do, I, what, do, I need to, what, what do I need to do? Like summarize the whole Bible, Jesus. It's a good question. Summarize the whole Old Testament in a couple of sentences, Jesus. Jesus said, game on. And in Matthew 12, 30 and 31, he said, this is it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And there's no greater commandment than these. So Jesus, you've got to kind of get this. You can't, you can't love Jesus biblically without passion. Like it's here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But like that's pretty passionate love for Jesus. 
the, the passion, or sorry, the message paraphrase says it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your passion, all your prayer, all your intelligence, and all your energy. And the, the, the Bible uses the phrase, with all your heart. So if you do something, if you do something half-hearted, you, you do it like poorly. If I ever mow my lawn, and it has been a while since that has happened, I do it half-heartedly. I hate mowing the lawn. So I'm half-hearted about it. But the Bible here is talking about stuff that you do with your whole heart, with all your heart, with all your energy, and with your passion, your, your entire heart. And, and you know, the Bible talks about that we seek God with all our heart in Deuteronomy 4.29. That we love God with all our heart in Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. That we serve God with all our heart in Deuteronomy 10.12. That we obey God with all our heart. That we trust God with all our heart. And then, just in case you missed anything out, in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. In other words... Jesus is saying we, we, we are actually made as men and women, we are made for passionate living, not passionless living. We have to stir the fire of God in our life. We have to bring back the biff. <laughs> I love this poem. It's not, it's not in the Bible, but it's a good poem. There was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked. He never tried. He never sang or prayed. And when one day he passed away, his insurance was denied. For since he never really lived, they claim he never died. <laughs> yeah, one of the, the greatest tools of the devil, I believe, is indifference. I remember I hate going to the dentist when I was a kid. I hate going now because I have to pay for it. Uh, it's a different level of hate, but... Or different reason for hate, same hate. Um, do we have any dentists here this morning? <laughs> okay. Because Jesus loves dentists. <laughs> yes, right. Anyway, let's leave dentists alone. If you know a dentist, hug a dentist. We should be hug a dentist. Anyway, let's think. I'm, I'm getting to it. <laughs> I hate going to the dentist. And, and so as a kid, and, and I, I had red hair as a kid, and so I, a fairly fiery, fiery temper, and, and so I'd go to the dentist, and there'd be some, there'd be some fire going on. There'd be some, and, and you know, particularly when they, they, they lift up the, the, the needle, and they try and lift it up out of, because you're here, and they try and lift it up out of, out of your sight. Uh, but I knew what they're about to do. They're about to stick a needle into my gum. I mean, that is entirely unpleasant. Has anyone got a needle phobia here? So the needle, it go, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so we, we, found, we found a dentist in Picton where I grew up that had happy gas. And so I would go into the dentist and I'm, man, I'm, I'm anti, I'm, I'm anti-dentist, I'm anti-needles, I'm anti-everything right now, I'm ready for a fight. And the dentist gives me a little bit of happy gas and within about three or four minutes, I don't care. Seriously, take them all out. I, I don't get, put needle, 10 of them, needles in all at once. I don't get, show me the needle. Put a bigger thing, needle thing on it. I don't care. What changed? Well, I was moved from a place of passion to a place of indifference by the happy gas. And you know what the problem is with too many Christians? 
They have the happy gas of the devil on. And they've moved to a place of indifference. A place where they used to care, but now they don't. The definition of indifference is, literally it means no difference. A strange and unnatural state in which the lines between light and darkness, dusk and dawn, crime and punishment, cruelty and compassion, good and evil, are blurred. Indifference. It's a zone that people live in. Proverbs 1 and verse 32, it says, The complacency of fools will destroy them. Indifference is incredibly destructive. You might think it's just, it would be neutral, but indifference will destroy your potential. Indifference will destroy opportunities. Indifference will destroy the sense of purpose that people with passion have, that if you are indifferent, you live without. Bob Geldof was a man that has done a lot of good in his life. Uh, did Live Aid in 1985 and raised a whole stack of money for feeding people in Africa, starving people in Africa. He wrote a song called The Great Song of Indifference, frustrated by people's indifference to the plights of people around the world. Let's just watch the first minute and a half of this. Thanks, Gav. Okay. Shall we roll? I don't mind if you go. I don't mind if you take it slow. I don't mind if you say yes or no. I don't mind at all. I don't care if you live or die. Couldn't care less if you laugh or cry. I don't mind if you crash or fly. I don't mind at all. I don't mind if you come or go I don't mind if you say no Couldn't care less, baby, let it flow Cause I don't care at all I don't care if you sink or swim Lock me out or let me in where I'm going or where I've been, I don't mind at all. I don't mind if the government falls, implements more futile laws. I don't care if the nation stalls, and I don't care at all. I don't care if they tear down trees, I don't feel the hotter breeze. Sinking dust and dying seas, and I don't care at all. Let's go! Yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's, that we should stop there. Yeah. Okay, thank you. That's just, just, just enough. That's enough. It's on you. No, no, just no. 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 Okay, got 10 more minutes. We're going to land it. In Numbers 13 and verse 27 to 33, this is a story of where the children of Israel have escaped miraculously out of Egypt. They've walked a few days across uh, to, the, to, the, uh, to the edge of the Jordan River. And they sent 12 spies over to spy out the land. And this is, this is the story. of uh, after, They spent 40 days spying out the land, and then they came back, and 
Two spies gave a good report, 10 spies gave a bad report. Let's read it. Then they told him, we went to the land where you told Moses, uh, we went to the land where you sent us and it truly flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and are very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to, over, uh, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have spied, uh, has gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of, giant, uh, of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So just fleshing this out just quickly, they saw the promises of God. These, these 12 spies, they said, right here, we, we, uh, we, we saw that there's a land flowing, definitely flowing with milk and honey. Here, we bought some fruit and they, they had to carry, two guys had to carry a bunch of grapes. And, and, and so they saw the promises of God. They saw that there was going to be a cost. That, that okay, there was going to be some battles and that there was going to be uh, some cost to, associated with obtaining the promises of God. Verse 32, they were intimidated by the enemy. We saw the giants of Anak there. And we were, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. So they were intimidated by the enemy. Then they were intimidated by their own insecurities. And, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight, and we were like grasshoppers in our sight. So their own insecurities intimidated them. And so in, verse, in chapter 14 of verse 2, they chose to not take hold of the promises of God. It says, And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or only, if only we had died in this wilderness. So they're, they're rejecting now the promises of God. Then they persecuted Joshua and Caleb, who were more passionate and wanted to go in and take them. In verse 10 of chapter 14, And all the congregation said to, the, to, said to stone them with stones. Like so, so just because Caleb and Joshua actually wanted to go up and take the land, they said, well, no, let's kill them. Let's, let's stone them. These guys are, gonna, these guys are bad. Uh, and then in verse 11, they, they, the rejection of the promises of God, God took that as a rejection of himself. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And as a result, they walked in the wilderness for 40 years. And the wilderness to me represents the zone of indifference. They couldn't go back to the world because they had too much of God in them to go back to Egypt, but they had too much of Egypt in them to go forward into the promised land. And so they walked around in this zone of indifference, not in the world, not in the promises of God, just this zone of indifference. For 40 years, they walked around in that zone of indifference. And I remember when, when I was growing up, there was a lot of sermons they used to talk about the Joshua generation. That, you know, we need to be like the Joshua generation. And, and, and as young men, you know, there was, there was Joshua generation discipleship groups and Joshua generation books and, you know, the, 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 the cry for, for, you know, different church where I was in, you know, come on, let's be part of the Joshua generation. The Joshua generation died in the wilderness. People seem to have forgotten about that. I know that the, the, the meaning of it was that we need to be like Joshua 
which is a different meaning to the Joshua generation because the Joshua generation walked in the zone of indifference for 40 years. So we need to bring back the biff to three areas of our life. I'm using, this, I'm using what Moses did here and Joshua as a link. We need to bring back the biff to the devil. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 and verse 10 to 11, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know, in Isaiah 59, it also says, For He put on righteousness as a breastplate, the helmet of salvation on His head. He put the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Like, I love the whole idea of wearing zeal, wearing passion as a cloak, that there would be a, a, a stirring in our lives, that we, would, that we would fight the devil. You know, when the, when the devil tries to take ground, when, when things happen in your life, when, when finances go bad or, or bad stuff happens in your family, that we would stand up and say, you know what, devil, no more, that I'm going to fight you. I'm going I'm to stand in that authority that we have in Jesus' name. Uh, a couple of months ago, I preached on spiritual authority. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, that we would fight the devil because we have the authority to do that. So we need to bring some biff back to the devil. Secondly, we need to bring back the biff to the crowd. I wonder how many people on that day, as Joshua and, and Caleb and the other 10 spies, while they were talking, I know what would have happened. There would have been a few vocal people in the crowd that stood up and said, well, we're going to believe the 10 spies and we don't want to go over. And the silent majority would have stayed silent. And I wonder how many people in that, on that day for the next 40 years regretted not actually standing up and going against the crowd and saying, hang on, we can. Because you know what? Maybe it would have just taken 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 people to go, hang on, we can do this. God is on our side. Because instead of just having Moses, Joshua and Caleb on one side and the 10 spies and the rest of the nation on the other side, maybe it would have just taken some people standing up and saying, hang on, that's not right. We actually can do this. You know, we, we, need, to, we need to bring back the biff to the crowd and don't get, don't get bullied into silence. We need to speak up for what we believe in. We need to bring back the biff to apathy. The children of Israel refused to pay the cost to go over. They just refused. They just said, we don't want to go. They were happy in their apathy, in their zone of indifference, not realising that it's going to cost them now 40 years wandering around in the desert, eating manna and quail every day for 40 years until they all died out. That was the whole plan of God. Well, we'll just walk you around until you all die and then we'll get your children and Joshua can lead your children in. Got to bring back the biff to apathy. And finally, we've got to bring back the biff to the call of God on your life. The children of Israel were destined to take the land. It was God's call on their life. They were destined to take it. It had been there since Abraham. Abraham, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, the call of God was there. But they refused to step up. We need to fight for the call of God that's on your life. And everyone has a call. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter whether you are older, younger, doesn't matter what, you are, what you're doing in life right now, whether you're a pensioner, whether you're employed, whether you are uh, uh, a blues supporter. I mean, there's a call of God 
on everybody in the church. God has, God has a purpose for you. For you being right here, right now, God has a purpose for you. And, and you know, the devil's come along, and I, I feel this in the Spirit right now. The devil's come along to some of you and whispered in your ear, your days are over. Your days of ministry are over. Your days of influence are over. You don't, you, you don't, you don't matter now in the church. You don't matter in the kingdom of God. You, know, you just need to sit back now. And, but you know what? That's a lie of the devil. Every single person has got, has got something to contribute to, to the church and to the kingdom of God. Every single person. We need to bring back the Biff. And as the music has come back, when I was growing up in the 80s, there was a, 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 a thing that people used to read out called the Fellowship of the Unashamed. Who's heard of the Fellowship of the Unashamed? That must have just been you and me, Murray. Yeah. Well, clearly it worked. We're, we're passionate. Okay, let's do it. So anyway, here it is. I just I love, I love uh, this. It's just a, a good... Uh, Good motivator. I'm part of the fellowship. We'll put this on the screen. Oh, good. Yeah. Good job, Gav. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, chintzy giving and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits or popularity. I now live by, the, by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer and labour by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my champion are my companions few. My guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, diluted or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know and work until he comes. And when he comes to get me, his own, he will have no problem recognising me. My banner will be clear. How good is that? Fantastic. So do you feel stirred this morning? Passion. Passion. You know, Australia, we're the great, she'll be right, mate, nation. But to me, that just celebrates mediocrity. We should pray. Father, we just thank you for the, for the challenge and the stir this morning. And Father, if even that short word that there's people in the church right now, Lord, that feel that their days are over, but their days aren't. God, you have a plan for every single person in this place right now. And Father, we want to step into that. So Father, help us this week. Father, just, just continue this, this ministry, this Word, Father, to, to, to bubble over in people's spirit, Father, and be stirred about passion. Lord, we don't want to be at City Hope Church. We don't want to be a passionless end-time church, Father. We want to be a passionate end-time church. Passion for the things of the Spirit. Passion for the things of, of, of souls and, and, and winning the loss to you, God. Stir us up, Father, we pray. And as every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Maybe there's somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus. Man, I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. Life-changing, eternal destiny, altering connection and relationship with Jesus Christ. Is there anybody this morning, just raise your hand and say, Peter, pray for me. Pray for me. I need to give my heart to Christ today. Such an important decision to make. 
Father, this week stir our hearts, Father. Lord, let's invite the unchurched to church, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, bless you this morning. We're going to go out on a praise song and uh, encourage you to stay and hang around. Uh, grab a meal together, chat, find somebody maybe that you don't know, sit with them, chat with them, get to know them. Bless you. Have a fantastic week. Hope you enjoyed that message. Have a blessed week.